Great. Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the BARD MBA in Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the program. Before we launch into our conversation with Kristen Sullivan of Deloitte, I want to provide some brief background about the BARD MBA. We are one of a few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low-residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program with first-year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab where they work on real-world sustainability challenges for clients. In recent years, clients have included UBS, Unilever, and Lockheed Martin. This year, we are working with Con Ed Solutions, HSBC, and Inward Point, a startup. I will now turn over the conversation to our MBA student hosts, Amy Califa and Mariana Souza, who will introduce Kristen. Thanks so much, Stephanie. This is Mariana Souza. Uh, so Kristen Sullivan is a partner and leads Deloitte Institution's sustainability reporting, assurance, and compliance services, working with clients to help address their sustainability disclosure needs. Kristen brings extensive experience in sustainability reporting and assurance focused on social impact. Kristen leads Deloitte's effort around social impact investing, specifically focused on Deloitte's services and support of the Global Impact Investing Rating System, GIIRS. Kristen also leads Deloitte's Conflict Minerals Advisory and Assurance Services. She brings specialized insights to this regulatory reporting requirement from her previous area focus on regulatory and public policy matters for Deloitte, recognizing the broader policy as well as the compliance implications of this issue from a corporate brand and reputation standpoint. The next section is all about um, the sort of frameworks and methodologies and groups she's a part of, so keep, it, keep those in mind if you have questions about any of these specifically later on. Kristen serves as a member of the GRI, Global Reporting Initiative, North America Advisory Council, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, also known as SAVB, Assurance Advisory Council, the International Integrated Reporting Council, IIRC Working Group, and the Global Initiative for Sustainability Ratings, GISR, Technical Review Committee. And she serves as a member of the AICPA Conflict Minerals and Sustainability Task Forces, as well as um, on the Capital Markets Partnership Committee for the Green Bond Underwriting Standards. Very busy. Uh, and Amy, I know that you have some more personal items that you wanted to add. Thanks, Mariana, and welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Um, those are amazing credentials, and I'm really excited to have you with, with us today. I had the opportunity to meet you for tea recently, and we had a really lively conversation about what you then described as really just accounting. I think that after today's discussion, our listeners will agree that sustainability reporting adds many new dimensions to the practice of accounting, and it goes way beyond number crunching. Why don't we start off with you telling us about your background, how you got into this field, and what your day is like at Deloitte. Well, thank you, and good afternoon, or good morning, or good evening to all of you on the line. I'm really thrilled to be here and appreciate the opportunity. A day in the life, that's a, that's a good question, but I, I'll give you a bit of a perspective in addition to the bio uh, that you just heard that I actually, I think, have a unique background in terms of my travels into my role at this time. I am an accountant. I am a CPA by background. I started with Deloitte 
almost 19 years ago as a financial statement auditor, and I've worked through various different areas of our, of our organization and have been working in this space for the past four years or so and, and really have seen just a real increased focus and, and real just clarity around the importance of information beyond historical financial reporting and the value it can bring in terms of attention to initiatives and performance reporting around these issues to an organization, as well as the increased expectation of the marketplace. So I'm, again, really excited to be here with you today and share some additional insights. Great. Uh, so we thought that we would sort of start from the perspective of the businesses. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about the current status of sustainability reporting, so that you mentioned the expectation of the market, um, sort of the, the, the broad overview and then a sense of who is reporting, uh, how much of sort of the markets in the U.S. are reporting would be really interesting to hear. Great. Well, I think we've certainly seen, by anyone's measure, an, an increase, a pretty pretty recognizable increase in reporting in and of itself. Now, you can break that down to reporting in accordance with a certain framework or in response to a certain survey or rater, but, but just from a, a context-setting perspective, at this point, based on some latest research, about 95% of the world's largest 250 companies report, uh, prepare a sustainability report. 86% of the largest U.S. companies issue sustainability reports. And focusing in on that U.S. piece, clearly the, the U.S. marketplace from a voluntary sustainability reporting standpoint has lagged the other parts of the world where, where these issues are, are front and center for many different reasons. But we have seen that, that focus in the North American, in particular the U.S. market, accelerate pretty rapidly over the past couple of years with the number of North American companies doubling in, in terms of the number of reporters in, in the last two years. And another notable stat that I think just helps to frame the, the, the current landscape even further is that of the S&P 500 companies, 72% issued a sustainability report in 2013 as compared to 20% in 2011. So I think there's, there's much more clarity in the market around, while in the U.S. in particular, absent a broad regulatory mandate, that there are a number of market forces that are really compelling organizations to acknowledge and recognize the, the importance and the value and just the, in a sense, this is becoming more standard practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd certainly love to hear a bit more about how sustainability reporting adds value because um, none of these, in the United States at least, these are not required reports. Uh, that companies are putting out. So what what convinces a company of this size to start sharing this data with the public? I think this is one of the areas where where we're really seeing the the shift start to accelerate in terms of the pace and really the enhanced focus on on really the quality of reporting is really when there's there's a shift away from the mindset that I have to do this to respond to perhaps some competitive measure, a business partner expectation, an investor expectation, but balancing that expectation, external expectation, with the internal value that can be realized. So 
what you don't measure, you can't manage. We all know that. And I think there, there, we're seeing an increased evidence base, if you will, around practices that are, that are really advancing in terms of really the clarity of, of performance around cost savings related to environmental efficiency efforts. Risk reduction due to efforts to to mitigate and minimize uh, GHG carbon emissions, and increasingly, where companies are really focusing on and measuring and tying to per financial performance, how products and services and and introducing, as an example, products that that reduce GHG emissions and 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 measuring that that revenue generation from those products as a true revenue enhancer in terms of a competitive, uh, from a competitive standpoint. So really tying the, the elements of sustainability that the organization, depending on the industry in which they operate, the competitive landscape, where they sit within their supply chain, how applying the lens of sustainability to the business activities generates the, 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 the business performance that the marketplace as well as the organization uses as measuring, you know, the fundamentals of, of how the business is performing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as, a, as Barn MBA students, we tend to talk about businesses on the sort of sustainability journey, beginning with compliance, moving to efficiency, and then innovation, because the United States is sort of um, – catching up with that 95% of global companies that are reporting, do you feel that there's a focus right now on reporting within the efficiency versus uh, innovation stage? I think hopefully we're at compliance now. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I, I guess it would depend on who you're speaking to and, and the point of view. I think that we, there's still clearly a tremendous uh, maturity that that we are on here in the U.S. But but I think again the kind of the evidence that's further illustrated in the market that that's led by the real leaders in in really defining sustainability as as how they do business and and so I think you know seeing that there are tangible benefits and this is not just a compliance exercise to meet some external stakeholder demand, I think that that really is helping to accelerate the appreciation of, of how these concepts really can drive long-term value. Mm -hmm. So if we can agree that it is valuable to uh, these businesses, what are some of the risks that you see most often um, with sustainability reporting from the business perspective? In the U.S. market, there is still this, this real hesitance around voluntary disclosure and the, the view that, that anything you voluntarily disclose to the marketplace, you could potentially be exposed to, to some sort of liability or risk. This is still a common theme among U.S. companies, whether they're, they're weighing the options and, and really the prioritization of how they go about enhancing the, the level of disclosure that they have around these types of topics. And so I think, I think we, we are seeing a shift, though. I think this idea, the risk of inaction, if you will, 
is is now the, the, the risk of action and actually voluntarily and, and, and really proactively uh, getting out there with, with disclosure and performance reporting around ESG topics, that, that shift is, is taking place very clearly. So there, there is now more of a view that the absence of reporting in the market is now becoming, uh, is, is elevated in terms of the risk it poses to the company, just given the broad marketplace expectation from, from stakeholders across the marketplace. So I think this whole, concern about this voluntary disclosure more so as exposing companies to more risk, that's really changing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we we should jump to sort of perhaps some tactical and more uh, concrete examples of the reporting frameworks that we're using, and obviously you, you focus on assurance, so uh, I think we'll jump into some of those questions with Amy. Yeah, hi, thanks, Mariana. It's Jamie again. Um, so, Kristen, you know, if I'm understanding everything right, like as a business person, I do my accounting, I publish my annual reports if I'm a public business, and um, then the next level is to have a firm like Deloitte um, audit those reports and sign off on them. So, what you guys do in traditional accounting, you're also doing in sustainability reporting. You're providing third-party assurance. What is the value of that to these companies? And as we're describing the American market already having some hesitancy around reporting in general, um, what drives them to, to request third-party assurance? Sure, and maybe I'll just step back a minute and, and just acknowledge the the alphabet soup of the standard setting and reporting initiatives that are out there and continue to advance in terms of their efforts to drive standardization in reporting from a preparer's perspective. So you've got the Global Reporting Initiative, the de facto most recognized and used sustainability reporting framework to guide company reporting on, on sustainability matters. You've got the, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, relatively new to the scene, with a bit of a different focus in terms of very intentionally developing industry-specific indicators and disclosures with the audience, the, the investor, the, the reasonable investor that, that is the, the user of the, the Form 10-K that a company files with the SEC, a public company. And then you've got a number of other initiatives, namely the International Integrated Reporting Council that has launched their integrated reporting framework, which is, is not the next version of sustainability reporting, but rather the next version of corporate reporting and really looking to guide organizations to, to looking at performance in a more cohesive manner beyond just historical financial reporting and really focusing on the, the interdependencies, uh, access to availability to all forms of capital, and then naturally the impact that an organization and its activities have on those forms of capital beyond just financial capital. So I think why that's important and, and an appreciation for what those initiatives are doing is that in order to, for an assurance provider to provide external assurance, the preparer, the, the company needs to prepare 
the disclosure, the reporting in conformance with a recognized framework. That's kind of one of the fundamental first elements of, of determining whether, whether an, uh, an assurance provider can perform external assurance in terms of what we call suitable and available criteria. So just to kind of level set on, on that point, as it relates to the value of assurance, I think Again, if you look at the landscape that we just talked about, the, the, the acceleration, the additional supply of this information to the marketplace in the U.S. in particular, while there's a, that increase in the availability and reporting on this information, increasingly much more sophisticated users of this information are, are recognizing and, and increasingly demanding that they have some confidence, some enhanced confidence that that reported information is accurate, reliable, uh, appropriately balanced, and, and all of those other considerations that, that, you would, that you would consider when you are actually trying to make an economic decision and that you're relying on certain information to inform that decision. So I think assurance in the landscape at this point of this form of voluntary reporting, largely in, at this point in the U.S. marketplace, assurance is, is increasingly a part of discussions we have with clients. When you look at those numbers of, of the current reporters, the number of, of reporters who obtain external assurance in the U.S. Is, is, is a very, very small portion of those reporters, but growing. I think it was about 16% of, of those reporters that we talked about uh, in the U.S. last year. But I think increasingly, when companies think about assurance, and, and very fundamentally, companies are, are dedicating resources energy investment in these programs and in the reporting process that if they truly believe that this information has value to inform internal decisions as well as communicating this information to external stakeholders to influence their decisions, that assurance, and it can come in a couple of different forms, is the next step and a very natural step, and many are looking at it as a real risk mitigation measure uh, for purposes of, again, making sure that the company itself is confident in, in the information and that they are protecting themselves from any form of disclosure risk that that a that a you know external party um, you know could use that information to make a decision and, and not be able to rely on that information. I would just highlight that as you. As we introduce the discussion around assurance from a maturity and I think reflective of the evolution in this form of non-financial sustainability reporting, many companies start with what's called internal assurance or assurance readiness where they can conduct, it can be conducted through, as an example, an internal audit department within the company or an external provider to come in and in a sense perform procedures that would identify areas for improvement and, and allow the company to, whether it's identify gaps and, and, and look at their reporting process in terms of the data collection, the analysis, and, and the reporting process, and, and, and really look at that how those risks, how certain risks are evaluated in the reporting process to enhance the accuracy and reliability of the information and really use the results of that exercise to inform and improve the reporting process. An internal assurance can be, can be compared to external assurance where 
external assurance, the objective is you, you've got a, very specifically an independent party who comes in uh, under a professional assurance standards, applies a risk-based approach. So I think, Amy, to your point around uh, really taking our approach to auditing the financial statements, we tailor that to perform what's called assurance on this non-financial information. And, and really a risk-based approach, applying procedures to come to either, on one hand, um, uh, a conclusion around whether there's anything that came to our attention that would suggest that the information is not materially presented correctly, or uh, there's a higher level of assurance that would result in opinion, an, an opinion that we would that we would provide to the company and to the, the marketplace around whether, in, in all material respects, that the information is presented fairly in accordance with the, the, the recognized framework. So the external the, the distinction is that external assurance report results in that report to external stakeholders. And that's where the, we find companies really find the most value in, in their ability to communicate to the marketplace and their stakeholders that the information is accurate, reliable, it demonstrates leadership confidence and, and really helps to enhance the, the, the commitment that, that a company is, is making to these efforts. I would also say we learn a lot from our clients where we provide external assurance that from a management perspective, it gives management a lot of comfort that, that these efforts are, in effect, achieving what they're intended to achieve or not and why. And it gives management just that, that you know, comfort to fall back on, that, that they are confident in, in what even communicating with the board or others, that they've got that additional safety measure, if you will, uh, or risk mitigation measure. And then at the end of the day, the real value and assurance, either internal or external, is really the insights and recommendations and, and ideas that, that the external assurance provider can provide that, that really will help the organization drive improvements and, and, and enhance their ability to meet their stated objectives. Yeah, it sounds like the actual process on all these different levels is really the, where the greatest value is coming from. And I was going to ask you, since uh, it's, sustainability reporting is relatively new to a lot of businesses, it, it, you know, I was going to ask if you find a lot of discrepancies when you look and do the third-party assurance, but it sounds like the process kind of resolves some of those discrepancies. So, you know, from the standpoint of just getting started with a sustainability audit, how does that work? You know, you mentioned these different frameworks. How do you determine what framework to apply? Do you have a favorite framework or does it depend on the business? And, and do you think these frameworks are going to merge over time or, or is it going to be one unified standard? I think a lot of people are are asking that question, so it's uh, certainly the topic of of the day. I think it's important again to reinforce that there are standards and frameworks that the preparer uses to guide their reporting. So that's where GRI, SASB, IARC, the others come in, and then there are standards that the assurance provider follows. So just quickly, I'll speak to. Uh, the the assurance standards, which we Deloitte as a professional assurance provider and audit firm in the marketplace, as well as our, our traditional uh, competitors and peers, the, the big four, as they're commonly known, and then the, the, the other large audit firms who per perform 
professional assurance under the AICPA, which is our, our, our uh, industry body here in the U.S., we, we can perform assurance, again, under that limited or review level of assurance or reasonable examination level of assurance. And, and I won't go into the, the nuances too much as to just reinforce that, that one results in a, a conclusion and one results in an opinion. I think what's important to note is that, that, that with professional assurance comes all of the, the, you know, the, the traditional training and, and, and competencies that, that our, our assurance as a profession um, has provided to the marketplace for the last hundreds of years. As it relates to the, uh, how you go about beginning or, or venturing into the whole assurance space, the first, the first real definitional point that, that needs to be uh, clear from what the company is trying to achieve is what is the subject matter? So we can, as an assurance provider, we provide assurance on, as an example, a very specific a GHG statement, right? So a very specific uh, component of subject matter within perhaps a broader sustainability report, a broader submission to the CDP, we can focus our assurance procedures on that very specific subject matter as presented. We can also and do also provide external assurance on a sustainability report taken as a whole. And just as two examples, we can we can and do provide a, a, a limited review level of assurance on both of those or a, a more enhanced examination level of review. And really, the result of the two is just a, a difference in the output, right, so the, the conclusion or the opinion, and it really just relates to the level of effort that the assurance provider has to perform to reduce the, the risk of misstatement to an appropriately low level. And I think when you, when you look at the current state of the marketplace at this point, largely the assurance that the sustainability assurance reports out there are the review level of assurance, so that lower level of assurance. That's generally what the market appetite is at this point in terms of the appreciation of the value of the external party coming in and, and even with what's called a negative assurance statement in terms of nothing came to our attention, it, it still gives the confidence that, that a, a risk-based approach has applied, a series of inquiries, analytical procedures, and in some cases additional uh, testing was performed on the subject matter to enable the, the assurance provider to come to a conclusion. So I think the, the importance of the plethora of frameworks out there and standards are critical and essential to driving, again, consistency, accountability, standardization, and how companies report that then, in effect, enables the auditor or the assurance provider to perform assurance. I think just to your point on do I have a favorite standard, I would say I don't necessarily have a favorite. I would say I think just to reinforce, it's pretty clear that the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI, has served as the most recognized framework to guide sustainability reporting globally and here in the U.S. And I think that's, that's largely driven to its very multi-stakeholder approach to not only their framework development and now they're, they're in the process of developing a standard-setting body by definition, and I think 
the the very clear distinction between the GRI and, and SASB as an example is that that the GRI intentionally contemplates the the needs of a multiple set of stakeholders in guiding how an organization defines the report content, goes through the reporting process, and then actually reports on on performance measures. Yeah. And, um, you know, just one last question about these frameworks, because um, I don't want to run out of time because we have other topics to get to. But I want a, a slightly deeper dive, you know, in, in looking at some of the um, requ requirements or of the, the GRI and some of these other frameworks, they talk about boundaries of a company. And as we've said, this is all voluntary at this point. But how does a company determine their boundaries and how might that impact reporting? In other words, like could one company say, well, our boundaries is just our you know, immediate office building and we're not looking at supply chain or downstream and another company might include a larger footprint? Like, Is there any kind of a standard in, in, in a, or a way to compare um, these kinds of reports in terms of their boundaries? You certainly highlighted a really key uh, area of I don't want to say concern. I mean, it's clearly an area of focus within this whole emerging space of sustainability, non-financial reporting. I think this is one of those key issues that serves to, for those skeptics, serves to undermine the value of sustainability reporting when, in its voluntary nature, a company can define what their boundary is, and as long as they've disclosed that, it they feel that they've complied with the appropriate framework, but but to your point, the user is then challenged with, well, how do I actually take this information and compare it to a peer company or or in a different industry? But but it's that whole comparability point that 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 becomes a challenge. Global Reporting Initiative in the development of the the G4 framework really took this issue on. And, and as a part of G4, which is still evolving in terms of its, not only its uptake, but, but the appreciation as to how the marketplace is really viewing the conformance to or transition to G4, but, but G4 specifically speaks to impact and, and a company's obligation, if you will, to consider the, the impact of, of the organization's activities in defining the boundary. So suggesting that you can have different boundaries within, within your reporting for different areas as dictated by the way in which the company defines their impact. Now, while that, this measure has, has been intentional in, in terms of trying to address the optionality, if you, if you will, around boundary definition, but I think it comes down to, you know, as an assurance provider, it's really, and again, depending on what, 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 what is subject to our, our, our level of assurance, but it's really challenging the company to, to really understand what their motivation is. And if there are reasons that the company is incentivized mm -hmm. to perhaps more narrowly define a boundary or, or, you know, just thinking about what, what's motivating the company in per, for purposes of their, of their reporting and how could that potentially influence the reliability, the accuracy of that information and how a reader of the report would be influenced? You know, would a reader expect that their, 
that it, there's a more comprehensive set of information that's reported. So there's a lot of judgment that goes into this form of reporting and some of those, those subjective questions around boundary definition, but clearly a front and center topic that many of these standard setting initiatives are really trying to take on. And I think as more of this reporting becomes more accessible and available, there, there will be more accountability in the marketplace. Yeah, so it sounds like much as um, my fellow MBA students and I are learning how to read those financial reports, you really have to also be able to read the sustainability reports on, on many levels. Um, Mariana has some questions for you now on the regulatory environment, so we're going to shift the conversation a little bit. Thanks, Amy. Um, so I think we've spoken a lot about the, the business value of reporting and insurance. Um, I was wondering, we were wondering if you had any uh, insight on the regulatory environment, both in the United States um, and sort of abroad, has have regula different, different regulatory environments contributed to that 86% versus 95% reporting elsewhere, um, and then we can sort of talk about whether whether a regulatory environment should be supporting sustainable reporting in the same way that uh, 10Ks are required. I think the, the regulators around the world, and we can speak to the U.S. in particular, but regulators around the world at different levels of acceleration, if you will, are increasingly looking at these topics of environmental, social, and governance issues as, as really important to, to, to really think about how current regulatory frameworks or regimes either promote or serve as barriers to this form of enhanced reporting, that the marketplace seems to be making it very clear that, that, that there, there's a need for this information to be available and accessible. I think clearly we've seen in the, the EU, in particular with the, the EU directive that, that was signed into effect last year in 2014, a clear message that, that broadly speaking, and, and clearly the, the implementation and the true impact of, of the directive is yet to be seen as each of the EU member states implement and then, and then drive enforcement of, of this directive. But, but this directive is broad in the sense that it will impact companies outside of the EU by definition. I think any act, any sort of a broad regulatory development in in one large region in the world um, can't help but influence and and impact companies and regulators in other parts of the country or parts of the world. I think we when you look at the U.S. marketplace, it's it's clear that we're not going to see any broad mandate coming out of the SEC anytime soon. That's my, my opinion. I think, however, when market forces are continuing to accelerate in a number of the initiatives, the World Federation of Exchanges initiative as an example, where investors are taking a very strong position, institutional investors that is, are taking a position and, and really advocating through the World Federation of Exchanges to to, to build the case as to why a uniform standard, listing standard, if you will, could serve to serve the marketplace well and serve investors well, 
through driving some form of, if you will, de facto requirement for disclosure among the largest companies. So that's not necessarily a regulatory driver. However, the exchanges have tremendous influence, clearly. And there's, there's, there's certainly the interaction among the, the exchanges in various different jurisdictions and the respective regulators. So while in the U.S. I don't see any reg, broad regulatory mandate coming anytime soon, we certainly know that Conflict Minerals, as an example, as an SEC requirement, represents a very narrowly focused human rights disclosure, if you will, requirement. While while many have varying opinions on the effectiveness and the value of that disclosure requirement, it certainly does give some suggestion that the SEC is focused on on these types of issues. Again, not necessarily that this is an issue that they are pushing themselves, which we know in the case of conflict minerals is clearly not the case, but that, that there are forces out there that are really converging around these regulatory requirements emerging. So I just think it's a tough balance. It's it's that, that push for would a consistent regulatory requirement mandating this form of disclosure be the answer versus continuing to let market forces accelerate this form of reporting. It's There's a fine line in terms of how, how to best accelerate and promote not only more reporting, but better quality reporting. Mm-hmm. I think the, the investor perspective is really interesting, and we're going to jump to that in just a second. But I do, um, having in a, very, a bunch of different classes and um, in the consulting projects that the BART students have to do, we, we, we are reading a lot of these sustainability reports um, and using a number of different frameworks, and it does seem that a fair amount of the sort of initial data is coming from regulate The data is coming from uh, regulations that exist outside of the SEC, so they might be labor regulations, worker safety, um, obviously, not disposing of toxic waste uh, in any sort of particular way. So how do you, how does your office sort of deal with the broader Mm -hmm. regulatory um, restrictions in the United States as opposed to the very clear sort of SEC, these are the things you need to keep track of? The way companies, companies that we work with, typically there's, there's a pretty, a pretty fine line, if you will, in terms of the compliance part of the organization that deals with EPA and OSHA and the various different DOT requirements that depending on the business, the industry, that that, that organization is subject to. I think where we see in terms of how we are assisting companies in, in, in really trying to tie the compliance activities that are currently underway driven by those very specific regulatory, driven by whether it's federal or state or, or local municipality regulations, trying to, to kind of pull the, the activities and, and initiatives that, that guide those compliance activities into the bigger message around how an organization is, is defining sustainability and, and their respective goals and policies and actions and, and then reporting, and how that translates to this broader reporting around non-financial and ESG matters to the marketplace, right? Because I think part of the challenge is the disconnect between 
those various different, very specific compliance drivers or regulatory drivers, and how can a decision maker, again, an investor or other stakeholder, translate all of that into decision-useful information if it's not pulled together and understood and communicated effectively by the company. So I think that's where we're seeing that 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 shift, if you will, or the convergence of the mm-hmm. not a standalone compliance exercise and reporting to the respective outlets, but companies really looking to kind of pull all of those pieces together into this 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 reporting in accordance with the recognized framework such as the global reporting initiative. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great time to jump over to the investor perspective. I know Amy has some burning questions. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting, you know, talking about the convergence, and Marianne and I are in a group together where we are consulting with um, Con Edison, and, and that has been some of the challenge for, for us is to, you know, look for those pieces in different reports, and um, even though they do have a really thorough sustainability report, you know, we, we're kind of digging deeper to get to some of those um, compliance issues and see how they feed into sustainability. So this is very relevant for our current research. But in terms of in, investors, and you did talk about the, the European um, and the World Federation of Exchanges having already an impact on reporting, how much of sustainability reporting do you think is investor-driven, and do you have other examples to, to share with us about that? I think first, the, the term investor, just to kind of focus in on that, is is such a broadly defined term, as I think we can all appreciate, that investors span the spectrum in terms of their objectives and, and what they're really looking for and then how that influences their their actions. I think when we think about the, the, the part of that investor spectrum that's really driving the acceleration of sustainability reporting, it's clearly the long-term institutional investor. The, the message is clear, in, in my view, that, that sustainability topics broadly defined represent key risks to long-term value creation by organizations. And clearly, long-term institutional investors are, are in it for the long haul. And so these are the, the avenues of those topics and, and impacts outside of the historical financial reporting that truly are, are key and important to, to really making the best decision. I think I would just focus back as, in terms of the example that, that you were mentioning on the, the specific effort that, that BlackRock as well as some other institutional investors along with Ceres have, have initiated to, to really complement, if you will, or, or encourage the, the attention that the World Federation of Exchanges is, is, is promoting through their, their newly launched, or I guess it was in, within the last year, sustainability committee. But, but there is this, this very defined effort driven by large institutional investors, with BlackRock being the largest, that, that the need for uniform, a uniform reporting standard for sustainability to be accepted by all member exchanges. So I think that was a notable event that, that, or initiative that was launched last year and, and we are seeing some acceleration around the, the, uh, just the whole World Federation of Exchanges efforts. Yeah, and we're seeing like the, the Rockefeller fund divesting and fossil fuels, CalPERS divesting in 
hedge funds, so these are all long-term kinds of investments that they're obviously seeing risk in. Um, another area of investment that I was curious about because you have this uh, on your credentials is being on the committee that um, sets standards for green bonds. So what is a green bond and are those standards in alignment with the other standards that we've talked about today? Green bonds are clearly one of the new hot topics out there and you know, just from a at a very high level, a green bond is very much an impact investment in terms of intentionally placing capital to create a environmental or social positive social or environmental impact. And there's been a movement around social impact bonds, but I think green bonds are unique in terms of of really the market appreciation for the the potential and the value as as we continue to hear about the extreme impacts of climate change and and the, and the real immediate risks and the ability to to mobilize capital private capital to to address issues that will help us you know mitigate this this extreme climate change risk we're seeing investors we're seeing corporate clients begin to initiate uh, green bond issuances and and really looking at the at least the trend over the past year and the growth that that these bonds have been kind of oversold in in record time as an indication of the market appetite where whereby clearly investors in the bond market are not are not looking to sacrifice uh, return for impact, but rather they're seeing green bonds as an opportunity to to get both, to to, to really achieve that return they're looking for, but also know that that, that investment is going to an initiative that, that is going to help in the in the broader landscape of, of mitigating climate change. I would say that from an audit firm and an audit profession perspective, what's a, a front and center issue for investors who are the more traditional mainstream investors looking to this whole green bond market, there is the concern of greenwashing, if you will. And so there's been a number of initiatives out there led by the major banks and in a lot of uh, occasions around establishing the principles around the issuance of a green bond and, and, and what measures need to be taken to ensure that the use of the proceeds from that bond do actually get allocated to projects that meet defined criteria of what represents a green investment. And so as, a, as an audit profession, there is a role for, for assurance in this evolving market. And, and I would say a critical role in, in really helping to accelerate given the, the importance of that third party assurance in market confidence and, and appreciation for, for what, what this bond can, can do. Yeah, well, that actually bodes well for those of us in the MBA and sustainability program. Um, Marianne and I have a ton more questions, but Stephanie, I want to check with you to see if we have any callers who would like to ask a question to Kristen. Sure. Thank you, Amy. Um, so if anyone on the line would like to ask Kristen, uh, Kristen a question, please press 5 star, and that will alert me to unmute you. So again, press 5 star. And if we don't have anyone who wants to chime in right away, Amy and Mariana can go forward with a couple more questions, and I can let you all know when there's a good break when there is. So again, five star if you're interested. Amy and Mariana, enough through yet, yes, so why don't you all go ahead. 
Oh, wait, we have one. Hold on one second. <laughs> um, I'm going to unmute a caller, 914-602-7308. Go ahead. Hi there, this is Katie Menke. I'm a second-year BART MBA student. Um, you're talking about using the current um, financial reporting methods that you use to audit for assurance um, into sustainability as well. Can those processes for sustainability and auditing and financial auditing be combined to kind of streamline the uh, integrated reporting assurance process? Well, thank you for that question. And you're, you're right in line with what the assurance standard setters are, are focusing on. I think just speaking to this movement towards integrated reporting, the question around how quickly we will get there is 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 one question, but but with this ultimate goal of of moving towards integrated reporting, naturally the question becomes, well, you have financial statement audit procedures and reports that that are performed, and then you've got assurance, which under our standards, the terms are a bit different on this non-financial reporting. How do you think about Combining those, and, and actually the term combining is, is, is a bad word for purposes of integrated reporting because the idea is not to combine <laughs> your reporting, but rather integrate. But integrate. This, is a, this is a topic of, uh, that's, that's got the attention of the global assurance and audit standard setting body, and there is a task force that's actually been created to, to evaluate what the assurance uh, needs are in terms of, of enhancing or, or evolving standards that, that would enable assurance around integrated reporting. I think what's important to note is you would apply the similar kind of methodology and approach. It's just the subject matter is different. And in the, in the, the, the example of integrated reporting, the subject matter will definitely be different than traditional historical financial reporting as well as standalone sustainability reporting. So it's really, it's thinking about not only the assurance procedures around the subject matter, but how the, the criteria for that subject matter itself. So I would just say you've highlighted a really important and timely topic that, that all market participants, I think, are thinking about, but, but that the assurance standard setters are focusing on. Hi, thank you. Thanks, Katie, for your question. If there are any more, please do press 5 star on your phone. And um, if not, we'll move forward with Mariana and Amy asking a few more questions. Great. Uh, Mariana, again, uh, so we were wondering, uh, in your experience, which of these two options is better to work with uh, from your perspective doing assurance? an appointed sustainability officer who does sustainability for the entire company or when sustainability has been uh, integrated into the sort of responsibilities of managers and directors across businesses, across business units. This is certainly a decision and I would say an evolutionary kind of a concept within companies that we work with. I think the the practice in, in practice, companies approach sustainability in, in many different ways. I, I would say many who are relatively sophisticated in, in terms of reporting do have a defined sustainability leader in some form. They might take on a, a different title rather than a chief sustainability officer, but they do represent that focal point more from an organizational governance 
standpoint in terms of messaging and communication and lines of, of, of responsibility, but very clearly work with the the business, right? The business units, the the facilities, the different geographies, the, the you know uh, subsidiaries. I think you will hear many chief sustainability officers of, of leading organizations, I could name a few that come to mind right away, who will say very publicly and consistently and over and over again that they believe that the way sustainability, to, to truly optimize the focus on sustainability, every person in the organization needs to, to, to take some responsibility and, and, in effect, be their own sustainability leader. I think it's just a function of the maturity and and really how organizations are evolving around recognizing the value of sustainability. And with that comes more shuffling and reorganization around how companies organize around it and, and drive accountability and responsibility. So I don't think there's a right answer or even a standard practice. I think it's it's just consistent with with this whole area uh, an evolving an evolving approach by that, that companies can take. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, Kristen, we're, we only have a little bit of time left, and I want to make sure to get this question into you. <laughs> this is Amy. I want to know what advice you have to those of us who are MBA and sustainability students interested in careers in sustainability reporting for companies or um, working as, as you do in, in assurance um, and, and consulting. Um, you know, what, what, where would you steer us and what should we be looking at and, and working on at this point? I think the answer to this question would vary every person you ask. <laughs> so my perspective, clearly as you as you heard from my background, I am a CPA by background. I'm not necessarily uh, you know, academically trained in sustainability. I'm more kind of the practice of sustainability trained. I believe and would encourage any MBA program participant to really while focusing on the subject matter of sustainability, in particular related to the area of reporting and disclosure, but importantly complement that subject matter expertise with the, the business expertise. So whether your concentration is marketing and, and how does sustainability really enhance your value proposition as a marketing grad and trying to pursue a career in, in, in marketing, if you will, from a sustainability perspective. Whether you are kind of my traditional path of I am an accounting and business major, so I was a CPA, and, and introducing sustainability into the practice of accounting or assurance. And, and it's a natural, uh, when you apply that lens to, again, it's, it's an enhanced subject matter. But I would just encourage you as, especially within an MBA program, to really focus not only on the subject matter of sustainability, but really how you want to differentiate yourself as a business, a business person. And that's really what companies are looking for. There's, there's this, this concern that this kind of bolt-on, separately focused area of sustainability is, 
is not efficient and, and, and really serves to, to perpetuate this kind of nice to have voluntary versus having that voice of, of really driving the business value and not just that it's something you've got to do to respond to marketplace demand, but, but truly how do you drive it into the business effectively and, and really produce results? Wow, that's, I, I take that answer very personally because you just uh, revealed a few secrets to me, so thank you for that. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I, I, Stephanie and Mariana, I think we have time for one more question, so I don't know if there's anybody else calling in, or Mariana, if you have one last question before we have to let Kristen go. Yeah, no other callers right now, so feel free to go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm also processing that that response. It was very, very <laughs> pertinent right now. <laughs> Great. So um, I guess one last question we could ask you, it, it, Kristen, is what you see as the future of sustainability reporting in, say, a few years from now. How, you know, where is the field going to be? How is it evolving? I believe that sustainability reporting will and I'll speak to the U.S. marketplace specifically, will really accelerate rapidly, much more rapidly than we have seen in the past. I think, I think some of the trends, the double growth or, you know, double-digit growth, clearly when you're working on a very small base, it's easy to achieve those types of growth numbers. But I do believe that that trend will, will not only continue but accelerate. And again, I think it's largely going to be driven by the marketplace factors. We didn't really talk much about kind of, the business-to-business -business expectations really driving this type of behavior, kind of license to operate. If you want to be a supplier to a big retailer, you've got to be focusing on these issues. If you want to supply, um, you know, a company in the technology space, you've got to have a conflict minerals compliance program in place. But I do think we will see increase in, in not only the, the, the volume of reporting, but the quality of the reporting as the market further really focus in, focuses in and, and demands some external assurance or reliability of, of reporting. And I hope in five years that, that we are uh, in a better position across the, the marketplace where there's, there's just a true appreciation for sustainability as a, as a fundamental business issue. Nice. Well, I, I just really want to thank Kristen and, and Mariana for um, joining the podcast today. And Stephanie, um, if there's any, no more callers, we can wrap up. Yes, and thank you so much, Kristen, for being with us today. We learned so much and it's so insightful to have you here um, on the call. And um, thank you to Amy and Mariana for leading a really great discussion. And um, so our next Sustainable Business Fridays conversation will be on March 27th. We'll be speaking at noon uh, with Jeffrey Amascato, who's Director of Purchasing at Shake Shack. So thank you all for being a part of today's conversation and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you.